Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Time now for the GX on Agriculture podcast. Brought to you by Trustmark Insurance in Melville. Trust us with what matters most. GX on Agriculture with Doug Falconer. Good afternoon and welcome to GX on Agriculture. Coming up on today's program, grain markets this week. We're showing some upward movement. We'll hear from PI Financial Commodity Futures Advisor Adam Piccolo on that. The Canadian Crop Hail Association says the industry set a record $10 billion in hail insurance coverage this past year. We'll catch up with President Scott McQueen of Saskatoon. And 2022 proved to be a pretty good year for some Saskatchewan farmers. That's according to Kevin Hirsch, an agricultural commentator who farms near Cabry in southwestern Saskatchewan. He'll join us on today's program as well. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX and Agriculture. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. With Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. Phil, it's bright and sunny here in the Yorkton area, but our temperature is once again very chilly today. Yeah, the cold air is not letting up just yet. It is showing signs it's going to do so. That's the good news. The the bad news is, of course, that it, it's still going to take a few days. We're waiting on a storm system in the east, and it has been a a, a monster cold snap uh, affecting much of Ontario and into Quebec and into the northeastern U.S. Some impressive winds and temperature falls and snow. Uh, while that's there, it's blocking the pattern. There's an area of high pressure which is set up from here to Texas, actually, north here, almost over the Arctic, to Texas. But the Arctic is where the air is coming from, and we're stuck in that high, making for a nice day today. Gorgeous day with abundant sunshine, but the temperature is not really coming up much. We're up to minus 24 for the afternoon. The wind chill is coming down because that high builds right overhead, and that forces the wind field from that storm eastward, and we'll see it uh, exiting across uh, the the whole region still lingering uh, into the evening, I think, still pretty gusty across parts of western Manitoba, and that means the extreme cold really in effect there. We'll see our, our advisors likely lapse on the Saskatchewan side, but still cold. And as that storm moves and high builds in, everybody gets in a calmer wind by tonight. So finally, by later on tonight, the wind, where it's still up, is down. But just because the wind is gone doesn't mean the temperature is going into It's still an Arctic air mass, and we drop off to minus 33 tonight. Tomorrow, a mostly sunny day, the high minus 20. And worth noting, I mentioned the light wind. Even uh, a, a quick uh, 5, 10 kilometer per hour wind at those temperatures drops the wind chill into dangerous territory. Now, it doesn't last, so you don't have to worry about prolonged exposure. But still, you get those cold temperatures, and they can certainly uh, have an impact. Sunshine tomorrow, minus 21 is the high. The wind's still light. The cloud cover rolls back in Saturday night. There's a chance uh, for a bit of light snow late in the night, but a better chance through the day Sunday. And it's likely a uh, steady snowfall, the four up. Well, two to four centimeters, we'll say. Looking like the heaviest stuff should pass just to our southwest, but it uh, rolls through, and it's the n- northeastern edge of some warm air. 
and it's not going to get in here. It's going to slide by, and unfortunately, that keeps us from getting into much warmer air. But at the very least, we're out of the minus 20s. We're at minus 17 on Sunday. We do trend upward at a gradual moderation. Minus 13 with cloud and sun on Monday, and another round of light snow possible later Tuesday. The high up to minus 10. That's Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. Temperatures around the region this hour. The Paw and Roblin are at minus 27 degrees. Swan River and Show Lake Russell, minus 25. Dauphin and Brandon, minus 22. Regina is at minus 30 degrees. Saskatoon, minus 31. Hudson Bay, minus 26. Broadview Mooseman, minus 28. Indian Head, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington, minus 27. The Yorkton-Melville region has a sunny sky, a west wind at 17 kilometers an hour. 70% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 27 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 38 degrees. Yesterday, Yorkton reached a high of minus 21 degrees and dropped to a low of minus 25 degrees. There was a trace of precipitation that fell in the 24-hour period, ending at midnight last night. The normal high for this date is minus 12 degrees. The normal low is minus 23 degrees. The sun rose in Yorkton at 8.53 this morning, and it will set at 4.46 this afternoon. Extreme temperatures for Manitoba and Saskatchewan yesterday... The Manitoba hotspot was Cross Lake, which got up to minus 19 degrees. The cold spot to Dooley Lake at minus 30 degrees. The Saskatchewan hotspot yesterday was Hudson Bay at minus 20 degrees. The cold spot was a tie between Maple Creek and Uranium City. They both dropped down to minus 41 degrees. And that's your agriculture weather. Welcome back to GX and Agriculture. Grain markets this week were showing some upward movement. PI Financial Commodity Futures Advisor Adam Piccolo says canola was up $7 per metric ton, while spring wheat futures were up 20 cents a bushel for the week. Starting off on the March canola, I'm mentioning March here because even though the January is still on the board, which might be on some listeners' phones, it really is not the most active contract here since it's going off next week. So the March canola futures are up approximately $7 a ton on the week. Today we're down about 3 sitting at 8 58.80. On the Minneapolis wheat front, the March contract is up approximately 20 cents a bushel for the week. Uh, today up 7.5 cents to 9.30 approximately. And definitely starting to have a little bit more of a positive trend here short term uh, on the wheat front. That's something that I've been kind of watching here for clients. The, the March contract here on Chicago and on Minneapolis have actually rallied to the highest level since 
uh, kind of December 2nd earlier this year. There has been some concerns for potential winter kill damage to the U.S. crop, uh, which is kind of helping support this rally. Uh, other outside market forces for wheat were bearish, though, with a higher U.S. dollar recently and kind of a weaker stock market in general. So seeing just a little bit of selling pressure right now. Again, the winter wheat crops are already under stress because of drought and the extreme cold weather is putting the crop at risk. So record low type temperatures in the plains could spark winter kill on areas uh, which do not get snow cover. So again, maybe a little bit of a bullish uh, tilt right now for wheat, especially how much it's gone down recently. And then on the canola front, I'm definitely watching the soy side of the markets as well too. Uh, There has been talk of rain this weekend for Argentina, plus a shift to a little bit more of a bearish outside markets forces, again, um, helping to press the market down. But what I'm seeing right now is actually, again, the kind of the soy markets have been positive trending here a little bit more, kind of helping canola to stay up a little bit into the higher end of the range where we've seen here this month in December. But uh, again, it doesn't seem like we're going to see a rally too much into the end of the year here, but we'll see kind of how it shapes up at the beginning of 2023. He provides a market outlook for next week and beyond. Well, maybe starting off with kind of next week, just to to reiterate for listeners, Monday and Tuesday, Canadian markets are are closed. So canola is closed as well as the Canadian stock markets. However, the U.S. does not observe our our Boxing Day holiday on the Tuesday in lieu of. So Tuesday, U.S. markets are all open. So U.S. grains are all open. But yeah, talking a little bit about further on for next year, uh, again, I've been a vocal here. Uh, with you and to clients that I could still see canola go a little bit higher here kind of in the winter months and for maybe those uh, listening that haven't sold that much canola waiting for that you know maybe second type of rally could be a, a way to exit before you know at next year's crop however again all all producers I believe should have that risk management plan whether the markets go up down or sideways so that's something to, to keep in mind. Bacallo expects Russia's invasion of Ukraine will continue to have an impact on markets this winter. Well, I think like we've seen, you know, recently, you know, in this last, you know, a couple months, news, just one little piece of news that was not expected can impact the market that nobody could have expected, whether it's, uh, you know, a missile strike or, you know, Russia saying that they, they aren't going to sign a certain deal. And that's something that nobody can really expect. So I would say... All producers, again, when they're maybe looking to to sell their grain or make smart marketing decisions that way, it really comes all down to that that profitable price. And I've been talking with clients as well, too, about their their input costs for next year, diesel, fertilizer, things like that. And that's where I kind of help take all of those uh, factors into account for clients. And uh, again, try and make that risk management plan rather than trying to maybe just focus on one event like the war in Russia. Adam Piccolo is a Commodity Futures Advisor with PI Financial in Winnipeg. It's time now for the Beef and Forage Report. Beef and Forage Report. Copper is an essential mineral for cattle. It's important for reproduction, bones and red blood cells. 
Dr. Barry Blakely is a professor of veterinary medical sciences at the Western College of Veterinary Medicine in Saskatoon. Dr. Blakely was a guest earlier this month on the Beef Cattle Health and Nutrition podcast hosted by his colleague, Dr. John Campbell. This week, as an example, and I wouldn't say this is the time we see the most or whatever, but one day this week we had six different herds in different parts of Western Canada affected. That's a lot. Translate that over the course of a year, you're in the thousands. So it's very common and it's by far the most common. Some of the people say, well, how about selenium? It's well down the list as compared to copper. Dr. Blakely uses the analogy of comparing the cow's liver to a bucket of water to describe how copper deficiency or copper toxicity can occur. Let's say you have a bucket of water and in the bottom of that bucket there's a little hole and what is dripping out of that hole is the copper from the liver going into the animal and the liver is the buffer organ for the copper. In other words, if you take in too much copper, it's stored in the liver. So the bucket is the storage tank. And when the bucket is half full, there's not a big problem. As the bucket starts to go down, the water pressure drops and the amount of copper flowing out of the bottom of the bucket goes down. And when, of course, when the bucket is empty, the flow stops and that's where you will have big problems. Dr. Blakely explains what occurs in a mild to moderate case of copper deficiency. Typically what you would see first is an unthrifty animal. They're just not gaining weight the way they should. Quite often I see diarrhea in those animals and you say, well, it must be an infection. Well, they look at the infection and there's none there. Why have they got diarrhea? And there's a disease called peat scours. The animals have diarrhea as a presenting complaint. But the one that really stands out, I think, is infertility. And that's what they say, oh, it's just the calf crop is half what it should be or whatever. Why is it? And of course, it could be infectious. It could be a number of causes. But check the copper and there it is. They supplemented and the problem disappeared. The most common method of treating a copper deficiency is free choice minerals. In some cases, the animal does not eat enough of the mineral from the lick tub. The next option is injectable minerals, which are more expensive. Dr. Blakely cautions when using chelated minerals to make sure that copper deficiency is the problem because you could eventually end up with copper toxicity. And that's today's Beef and Forage Report. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program. GX94 Ag Review. As much as the 2023 growing season and following marketing year are highly unlikely to be as wild as 2022, there's still plenty of unknowns and volatility ahead. Neil Townsend, analyst with FarmLink Marketing Solutions, says there were definitely head-scratchers in the 2022 season, like when wheat prices shot up, then dropped, then settled lower than expected after the Russian invasion of Ukraine in February. But ultimately, the volatility that drove prices and the resiliency of the market all made sense. There's still plenty of uncertainty to drive markets, including what happens with Chinese demand. Townsend thinks the big question mark is China and what they're going to do in the first three months of 2023. At least one bird in Canada has tested positive for a different strain of avian influenza. A wild blue-winged teal in Manitoba tested positive for the H5N6 strain of avian flu, according to a report from the World Organization for Animal Health. 
Until this discovery, the avian flu cases in Canada had all been of the H5N1 strain. H5N6 can spread to humans. Eight premises in Manitoba are currently infected with avian flu, and 13 were previously infected, according to the Canadian Food Inspection Agency. It's estimated avian flu is affecting 287,000 birds in Manitoba. The most recent case occurred in a non-commercial, non-poultry location in the RM of Woodlands. Adama Canada says it's expanding its support to retailers and the farming community through the creation of a new team of agronomists. The company is looking to have the new team of experts in place in various areas around the country by January of 2023 in preparation for the next growing season. The new team of technical sales agronomists will be tasked with providing advice on the company's current selection of products. They'll also be asked to coordinate trials and product demonstrations, help develop informational materials for customers, as well as advising the company on potential future products to develop for the Canadian market. The company has begun advertising for the new positions, which call for people with several years of experience, as well as degrees in life sciences, such as weed science or agronomy. They plan to have four agronomists in place early in the new year and may add more positions in the future. Mexico and the United States aim to reach an agreement in January over a pending Mexican ban on imports of genetically modified corn. In a statement, the ministry said talks would continue in the meantime as the two sides work to reach a mutual understanding that gives legal certainty to all parties. Mexico has a controversial presidential decree that is set to ban GM corn and herbicide glyphosate in 2024. U.S. officials have threatened to take action under the Canada-United States-Mexico agreement, arguing that the decree will harm U.S. farmers. Mexico, which imports about 17 million metric tons of U.S. corn a year, has said the decree focuses on corn for human consumption and that GM yellow corn for animal feed would be permitted. Mexican officials, however, have yet to announce formal modifications to the decree. And the name Alfred Slinkard often goes hand-in-hand with pulse production, and his lentil varieties made Canada the world's largest exporter of lentils. Affectionately known as the father of lentils, Slinkard passed away with his family by his side on November 24th. During his lifetime, Slinkard received multiple agricultural awards, but his most cherished were the Governor General's Award in celebration of the nation's table in 2010, the Order of Canada in 2020, and the Queen's Platinum Jubilee Award in 2022. He founded the Saskatchewan Pulse Growers, And under the leadership of the Saskatchewan Pulse Growers, Slinkard edited and published the second edition of the Pulse Production Manual, which is known as one of the best places to find pulse production information in the world. And that's the Ag Review portion of our program. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. I'm Doug Falconer. It's sunny and minus 27 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. 
The Canadian Crop Hail Association says the industry set a record $10 billion in hail insurance coverage this past year. President Scott McQueen of Saskatoon says farmers purchased record levels of insurance due to rising costs and strong crop prices. Coverage levels hit nearly $10 billion in 2022, which is a 20% increase over last year. Buying habits started a bit slow, uh, but then certainly picked up throughout the growing season. And it made it difficult for farmers towards the end of the year because the coverage levels cut off with uh, a lot of the companies. He tells us why there was record coverage in 2022. Well, with crop prices and input costs being very high and, and you know, the, pri- the prices are at near an all-time high, I think farmers just wanted to protect themselves and, and their livelihood. And, and, you know, more coverage was purchased in 2022 than any other year ever. McQueen says the total hail insurance payouts across the prairies this year were quite high. Well, um, Saskatchewan had a $143 million payout to producers. Alberta was $94 million, and uh, Manitoba was $31 million. As for the industry loss ratio, he says the companies didn't make any money this year. You know what? No. I mean, it's sort of kind of a, a almost a break-even a year for companies. I mean, some companies had, had different loss ratios than other. The industry average was 71%, which is above the... You know, the, the average, but the thing was that, you know, the, the cost per claim, the average payout was at an all-time high, and that's a direct correlation to, you know, the amount of coverage that farmers were buying with uh, the liability being up. McQueen says Alberta was the hardest-hit province when it comes to hail. So Alberta saw, you know, an, a, 90, a 98% loss ratio, which is a bit higher than 2021's at 97%. Saskatchewan was next with a 68% loss ratio. That's compared to a 133% loss ratio in 2021, so a big change there. And Manitoba was up slightly in 2022 with a 43% loss ratio, which is a bit over the 21% in 2021. So overall, that worked out to be 71% loss ratio. And with, you know, with reinsurance costs and, and other things like that, it it's, uh, you know, sort of around that break even for for a lot of the companies and so you know looking forward to 2023 and and uh you know hopefully we can uh, turn the tides there a bit as for 2023 hail insurance rates in terms of you know individual companies across the three provinces i i would suspect rates to go up just because of the you know the cost of reinsurance being so high and you know let's back to back years of you know tough hail years especially you know going back to 21 where we saw significantly one of the one of the bigger loss ratios we've had in in a number of years and then 2022 sort of falling into that you know that that 70% range which which isn't a money maker so i would suspect uh, rates to jump throughout all three provinces in 2023 but mcqueen says it's hard to say how much rates will go up you know what i you know it's tough i i don't know it's it sort of falls company to company and you know i i i don't know what what people were thinking going into 2023 i just know that rates will increase and he has some advice for farmers who couldn't get hail insurance this year yeah, you know, I think going into 2023, I think the, the buying habits are going to be a little bit earlier than they were in 2022, and that's, you know, specifically because of the the lack of coverage for some farmers, you know, with their buying habits being a little later than others. Uh, there was not a lot of providers out there left, you know, in July or end of, end of uh, June, so I would suspect that 
the buying habits will change and it'll be a little bit earlier and and that would be my advice i mean i would contact your your provider and uh, set your insurance up you know as quickly as you can scott mcqueen of saskatoon is the president of the canadian crop hail association it's time now for the livestock market conditions livestock market conditions U.S. live cattle futures for February are trading at 157.75. That's up 45. April live cattle trading at 161.90, up 57. January feeder cattle trading at 183.95, down 2. March feeder cattle trading at 186.85, up 40. February lean hogs trading at 87.62, down 142. April lean hogs trading at 95.27, down 75. And that's the livestock market conditions. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. 2022 proved to be a pretty good year for some Saskatchewan farmers. That's according to Kevin Hirsch, an agricultural commentator who farms near Cabri in southwestern Saskatchewan. Producers, particularly on the, the eastern half of Saskatchewan, although some variability, tended to get a, a good crop. It was late going in, but they had an open fall and, and got it off in good shape. Less drying required than in a normal year. Prices for commodities were very strong. Many producers on the east side of the province had their best year ever financially. West side, very spotty performance. The northwest, maybe not so bad, but much of the west, central, and southwestern part of the province, rainfall remained short, and although the crop may have been better than the terrible crop of 2021, it was still a poor crop, and they did not have nearly as good a year as the rest of the province. In, in total, it, it wasn't that far off a, an average crop, but some people had a quite good crop and some people had a quite poor crop so certainly there was a disparity in in returns he believes grain prices were also pretty good for most of the year prices were strong i think it was a case where in many instances or at least in some instances producers could have actually made more money by contracting in advance there were so many producers burnt by crop contracts in 2021 when they didn't have enough to fulfill their contracts. I think there was a great hesitancy to contract going into 2022. And in many cases on crops, everything from canola to flax, there were values available that ended up being better than what the market offered after harvest. But those prices were still nothing to complain about and remained pretty strong for a lot of crops, with a few exceptions where things have really tailed off in 2022. A couple notables would be flax and oats, where prices are at levels that will be disappointing compared to what producers saw a year ago. Hirsch notes there will be some changes to Saskatchewan crop insurance next year. I think everybody will be watching with uh, great interest when they finally get their crop insurance information and and premium information. In my way of thinking, you know, I'm a person that uh, collected crop insurance two years in a row. Crop insurance has been my biggest crop two years in a row, and I'm not happy about that at all, but that's the case. 
So how is it going to look for me going into 2023? What are the premiums going to look like? I think it'll be a case of the crops that I had bigger claims on than the average of my area might have a premium increase that I'm not very happy about. Crops where I did better than the area around me um, might see premiums go down. That's about as much as I can determine at this point. Previously, we had a system where you had either discounts or surcharges based on your history of all of your crops as a basket compared to your premium. And now they're going to be looking at your individual crop yield and claim history. And it's it's going to be a change. I think my understanding is they're going to buffer some of it so that uh, your change in premium will have a cap on it, uh, at least in the, in the first year. But I do expect that there could be some surprises when people get their information. And really before that, they won't know until it uh, arrives in the mail you know, typically this is is March uh, before people see that sort of information on their crop insurance. He also comments on Ottawa's proposal to voluntarily reduce fertilizer emissions by 30 percent by 2030. It's actually an interesting one because, you know, 30 percent fertilizer emissions target of reduction is actually a couple of years old. It didn't really even get announced in 2022 Uh, It was announced well before that, but it gained attention in 2022, and a lot of groups label it as a 30% requirement of fertilizer reduction rather than fertilizer emissions reduction. And the government eventually had to backtrack and and try to smooth the waters a bit and say, no, this is only emissions and it's only a target. Trust us, we're not going to limit fertilizer use. But there's still groups out there that don't take the government at their word in this regard. So it's certainly become a a hot issue and a a real uh, striking point uh, of opposition. But I personally, I don't think it's quite as nefarious as it sounds. I think there are things we can do to reduce fertilizer emissions. Uh, Governments have either a carrot or a stick approach in how they accomplish this and I think there might be a little bit of of both that that occurs but I personally don't see it quite as nefarious as uh, some observers do. Hirsch says farmer protests in the Netherlands may be having an impact on the thinking of our federal government. Well certainly if the If they came out and said, yeah, this is a 30% reduction in fertilizer, we're going to monitor you and make sure you reduce your fertilizer, you know, there would be one hell of an uprising uh, in Western Canada and Eastern Canada. I just don't expect that is going to be how the government handles this. But when you see some of the strong-arm tactics in countries such as the Netherlands, it does give a lot of people pause. He says some federal regulations may not be mandatory, but you may have to abide by them in order to qualify for federal programs. It could be that way. I I believe that there's a couple of routes that could be followed. I believe, for one thing, there's a need to get some regulations standardized and in place. For instance, in Saskatchewan, it is not against the law to spread nitrogen fertilizer on frozen ground. It is in Alberta and Manitoba, especially Manitoba, where they have requirements this not be done. 
even though we don't like to talk about it, I think there's been quite an increase in people spreading fertilizer in the winter to save time in the spring and putting up with losses or believing that the losses aren't that high. So that's one thing from a regulatory point of view. The other thing I look at that could be done quite easily, and in some cases is happening through some various programs, is encouragement and incentives and financial support for using more nitrogen stabilizers on nitrogen products so that they have less volatility and and less gassing off and therefore the the nitrous oxide emissions are reduced. So I think there's things that can be done that wouldn't necessarily be opposed by the majority of producers. Hirsch notes that cattle prices are pretty good right now, but some livestock producers are still exiting the business. Cow-calf prices, if you look at the 550 weight steers sold for in the fall calf run, probably up 40, 50 cents a pound. That's a good news story, but the bad news is that the cow-calf sector is still very marginal for profitability, in many cases losing money and certainly not seeing the returns that the, the grain industry is. And I think you're seeing more and more small to mid-sized herds say, the heck with this, it's far too much work to be losing money. And if they have any land that can be converted over to crop production rather than tame hay or pasture, that's a far more high return economics. And so I think it's it's really sad that our, our cow-calf sector is, is struggling so mightily and uh, not an easy situation to figure out how to turn that around. He says it would be nice to see some incentives for producers to keep their land in grass. I think it's it's even for the grain industry to have a strong cow-calf industry. There's benefits to both sides. But it's uh, labor. There's, there's no way to automate some of the work you have to do with cattle. And it's, it's return and it's opportunity cost when you could have it in, in grain production instead. Now, there'll, there'll always be cattle on the, the land that cannot be harvested in any other ways except through the mouth of a cow. But anything that can be cropped, you're seeing fences pulled up, you're seeing uh, land broke up, you're seeing herds sold off. It's a continuing trend. In fact, it's, it's happening maybe even more than it did after the drought of 2021. Even with the better prices, producers are uh, exiting the business. Hirsch notes that land prices are pretty strong right now. Well, and it's surprising, too. You would think that with uh, high interest rates and historic rise in interest rates throughout 2022, that perhaps that would cool off land values to some degree. It, it seems to be cooling off residential housing prices. But with the returns in the, in the grain industry, with many producers sitting in good cash balance situations, it seems that uh, land prices are continuing to escalate, cash rents continuing to escalate. It'll be interesting, I guess, when we, we see some official numbers for all of 2022, but it, uh, anything anecdotal would appear that land price increases have not slowed at all. And he says quality and location are important to land buyers. The only thing I think we might see a difference between the west side and the east side of the province just because of the difference in returns in 2022 because of the moisture situation. And areas that have had back-to-back droughts, in some cases uh, producers would argue back-to-back-to-back droughts, 
are not nearly as well cashed up as some of the areas that had 50 or 60 bushel canola crops. So those areas with really strong yields on top of very strong prices, they may indeed see more pressure on, on land prices than, than some of the, the drier areas. But and and its quality of land does make a difference. But when land prices are going up, even the lower quality land tends to be pulled up and, and probably gets pulled up even further, even a bigger gap to its productive value than some of the good land. But you'll see all sorts of numbers out there. But yeah, we've always been behind Manitoba and Alberta as far as top land prices. But uh, the numbers now are, man, they're quite a lot higher than they were just a few years ago. Kevin Hirsch is an agricultural commentator who farms near Cabri in southwestern Saskatchewan. Commodities Update. Canola futures are trading up across the board right now. January canola trading at $865 per metric ton, up $1.70. March canola trading at $862.20, up $1 per metric ton. March Minneapolis wheat trading at $9.28 and three quarters, up six and a half cents. March Kansas City wheat trading at $8.74 and three quarters, up eight and three quarters of a cent. March Chicago wheat trading at seven seventy six and a quarter, up fourteen cents. March corn trading at six sixty six and three quarters, that's up six and a quarter cents. January soybeans trading at fourteen eighty per bushel, that's up twelve and a quarter cents. March oats trading at three sixty three and three quarters, up nine and a quarter cents. And that's the Commodities Update. Please stay tuned. Your Farm Bulletin Board is coming up next. Farm Bulletin Board. The Saskatchewan Chamber of Commerce has announced it will be hosting its first ever Food, Fuel and Fertilizer Business Summit. This event will take place February 14th and 15th at Prairieland Park in Saskatoon. The summit is being put on in partnership with the Manitoba, Alberta, and British Columbia Chambers of Commerce. The summit is about positioning Western Canada as a major powerhouse in the global economy, especially as it relates to food, fuel, and fertilizer. Businesses across Saskatchewan will benefit through increased jobs and the need for goods and services. Over the two days, the advantage Western Canada has will be showcased as its capacity to engage in the global economy. The Business Summit will also identify opportunities for investment attraction, trade, and attracting global brands. The event will also be used to create a Western Canadian network to develop a plan for global positioning. The speakers for Day 1 include Ken Seitz, the President and CEO of Nutrien, Robin, uh, Robin Sylvester, the President and CEO of the Vancouver Port Authority. Susanna Pierce, the President and Country Chair of Shell Canada. And there will also be a panel discussion that day on why economic, social and governance strategies matter. 
Then on day two, the guest speakers will include Murad Al-Khatib, the CEO of AGT Foods, as well as the Honorable Perrin Beattie, the President and CEO of the Canadian Chamber of Commerce. Speakers are coming to the summit from across the West and across the country, and the full agenda, agenda is still being finalized. Registration for the summit is now open. You can simply go to saskchamber.com to take part in this event. Of course, it's the two-day food, fuel, and fertilizer business summit coming up February 14th and 15th at Prairieland Park in Saskatoon. And that's all the time we have for today's Farm Bulletin Board. It's coming up on 1 o'clock. That means it's time to check the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast for the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions. An extreme cold warning is in effect for today's sunny skies. Winds west-northwest at 10 to 20. A high of minus 24, but a wind chill at times near minus 40. For tonight, clear skies, a light variable wind, and a low of minus 33. For tomorrow, sunny skies, a light south-southeast wind, and a high of minus 21. For Christmas Eve, tomorrow night, a low of minus 26, then rising. For Christmas Day Sunday, light snow with 2 to 4 centimeters possible. Wind southeast at 15 to 25 and a high of minus 17. For Boxing Day Monday, partly sunny at times, a high of minus 13. And for Tuesday, partly sunny with a 30% chance of late day flurries, a high of minus 10. In the Paw and Roblin, it's minus 27 degrees. Swan River and Show Lake Russell are at minus 25. Dauphin and Brandon, minus 22. Regina is at minus 30. Saskatoon, minus 31. Hudson Bay, minus 26. Broadview, Mooseman, minus 28. Indian Head, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington, minus 27. The Yorkton, Melville region has a sunny sky, a west wind at 17 kilometers an hour. 70% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 27 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 38 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for GX on Agriculture for today. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday for another edition of the program. You've been listening to the GX on Agriculture podcast, brought to you by 